you're listening to Sending the Experts with Georgina Durant. This podcast is all about teaching and supporting children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, SEND. My name is Georgina Durant. I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by Twinkle SEND. As a former teacher in Senko myself, I wanted to create a platform to share some of the amazing things that my guests are doing to support learners of SEND. So whether you're listening on your commute, tuning in whilst walking your dog or curled up on the sofa with a nice cup of coffee, thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I'm joined by Sean Flores to talk about OCD. Sean describes himself as a creative who knows no boundaries, an influencer aiming to have the right influence on the world. He typically focuses on mental health and well-being and is now aiming to qualify as a life coach using his experience from the creative world and his personal experience to help guide others on their path in life. Sean has delivered two TEDx talks. In 2018, he gave a TEDx talk about the education system and how we can do more to ensure no one is left behind. His second TEDx talk was on the straitjacket of masculinity and male mental health in 2022. And he's hoping to do a third one, I believe. Um, The TEDx talk is to help raise awareness of OCD and raise funds for OCD research. Wow, Sean. (laughs) Hi, how are you? Yes, good morning. Thank you so much for rolling out the red carpet no yeah I'm, I'm doing quite well I'm quite excited to be here because I understand how important your platform is especially for okay. people with um, special educational needs and I also I'm I'm always the kind of individual who wants to give back to the community that have given so much to me whether that's the education community the OCD community um, and as also as, as you also said some of your viewers and your listeners are also parents teachers um even young kids who also have special education needs so I think it's just so important the platform you've got and I'm just really grateful to be here this morning oh thank you so much and I apologize no one will know this whilst we're recording this but it's 9 30 on a Monday morning so yeah real (laughs) kudos to Sean for agreeing to this time and if you see us yawning or getting a cup of coffee that's probably the reason why (laughs) no do, do you know what it is um yesterday I went to bed quite early but you know, with the cold weather, the change in the weather really yeah. throws your body off. And then by four o'clock, it's getting so dark. So mm-hmm. I'm still stuck in that summer mode. But no, I'm most importantly, my brain is awake and ready to go. Brilliant. <laughs> so let's get started about OCD then. There's loads of misunderstandings surrounding OCD. I think stereotypically and incorrectly, many people still think of OCD as washing your hands and cleaning um, and it just being about that. And I watched a video last week called Living With Me and My OCD, which is a really interesting documentary. If anyone hasn't watched it, I would recommend it. And at the start, this lady goes out and speaks to a few people um, out and about and asks them what they know about OCD. So just like people in the street, what do you know about OCD? And literally every single answer was about washing your hands, about keeping things neat and tidy. And then there was even one guy who said, everybody has OCD. And you're like, oh my goodness. Um, So yeah, can you give our listeners a proper definition? What actually is OCD? So yeah, OCD stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. It was once defined as an anxiety disorder, but in 2013, it was changed to be a compulsive disorder. So it also encompasses um, um, body dysmorphia. Mm -hmm. It also encompasses, um, I'm trying to remember the other disorders it encompasses, GAD, so generalized anxiety disorder anything to do with anxiety also runs in with the same um field but also yeah. being a hypochondriac is a part of ocd right. as well because it's it's it, it's obsessions it's compulsive but ocd is defined as unwanted repetitive unwanted um unwanted repetitive obsessional intrusive thoughts right so depending on what your theme is so my themes are typically sexual orientation and harm so 
harm is the idea of doing harm to other people and the harm to myself and sexual orientation is intrusive thoughts about my sexuality right so what it is is the best way to describe ocd is let's say you've had a thought about your sexuality you might have been able to dismiss that thought whereas for people with ocd we think the thought said something about us so we sit there and we ruminate it over and over yeah. we constantly look for evidence to be like no no does this prove that we're like this or this does yeah. this prove that we're like that that's exactly the best way to describe it now interestingly enough only 26.5 percent of the population actually have the cleaning type of ocd of mind if my numbers serve me correctly okay um and i think a lot of the views that we have on ocd are actually um as a result of the show obsessive compulsive cleaners which was first aired in 2013 on channel four Mm. and i think that show really sits in our memories as to why we believe that ocd is just about cleaning or symmetry and we see ocd as this real as this thing that you know everybody has and this thing that somehow it's a good thing to have no what people need to realize is it's a maladaptive behavior it's your brain trying to protect itself so if someone has cleaning ocd they're going to get they get an intrusive thought as to let's say if i put this in the wrong place or if i leave this here something bad's going to happen and they might not be able to get rid of this thought so they might believe they have to believe they need to clean clean up the entire area it becomes obsessive it's something they keep doing over and over and over again now the behaviors that we use to alleviate the anxiety we get from the intrusive thought are otherwise known as compulsions yeah so when you perform this compulsion over and over again, as time goes on, this compulsion no longer has the same strength, right? Or you would so to believe with anxiety, but it actually makes the obsession stronger because you're teaching your brain every single time that there's something for you to worry about. So when I've had um, my sexual intrusive thoughts, every time I started questioning it and going over and over and over and over in it again, what I was teaching in my brain was that it was something to worry about. It was something that I needed to give importance to. Whereas now what I've had to learn to do, thanks to therapy, is go, that's just an intrusive thought. I'm going to carry on with my day, yeah. acknowledge it, but it's, it doesn't say anything wow. about who I am. So yeah, so it almost strengthens it in a sense. So exactly that. The yes. more you obsess over it, the more it, yeah, the more it strengthens it, the more the, the compulsion. Gosh, yeah, it's so interesting and it's so misunderstood, isn't it? It really, it, it really does feel to be a much and I think I read that it was one to two percent of the population they believe have OCD, which is I think they massive. even predict even higher numbers. Really? At the I think some people are predicting three percent. Now, wow. what makes OCD really difficult to diagnose is it takes up to twelve people. Uh, it takes up to twelve years for people to be diagnosed with OCD. Is that right? And, Gosh. Yeah, and why that is is because due to the taboo nature of OCD with um, intrusive thoughts. So as I said, I've had sexually intrusive thoughts, harm thoughts. There's people that have race OCD. So they have racially insensitive, racist thoughts. Um, Because a lot of people won't talk about it, this is why a lot of people take up to 12 years to be diagnosed. But also what makes OCD really tough to um, diagnose? And I think why I believe there's a lot more people who are undiagnosed is because a lot of the behaviors that we see as normal, I strongly believe can be classified as OCD behaviors. Now, I'll give you an example. So I'm, I'm a young black man, young black Caribbean man. I'm from Trinidad. And my dad died on Christmas Day when I was six years old. And my oh mom gosh. had to deal with that trauma. But mm-hmm. I strongly believe a lot of the behaviors that my mom has adapted for her anxiety are strongly considered as compulsions. This is me looking back at my childhood 
and having the lens at which now I can articulate my criticisms with it now. And I'm actually writing an article at the moment called Cleaning Up OCD in the Black Church because another theme to do with OCD is something called religious OCD. So religious OCD is, let's say you're religious, but you have blasphemous thoughts about God or you have all these ideas that are a bit like, wait, hold up, do I really believe in God? And so as a result, your compulsions might be excessive prayer. You might believe praying over and over and over and over again is going to help you get rid of these thoughts, not realizing that secular treatment will triumph over that religious dogma. So that's something that's really important. Yeah. And now I think because of my community, how deeply we believe in God and the institutions that we have support in our beliefs, such as I am the mosque or the church, a lot of these behaviors happen and they continue generationally and they're never really challenged mm-hmm. so this is why i'm writing that article because i believe there's a strong idea that a lot of these behaviors that i grew up with with my mum are ocd anxiety type behaviors yeah wow and i'm so sorry about your dad that's that must have been a very difficult time for your family no absolutely but i i think it through what's happened it's taught me a lot about who I am, who I want to be and where I'm hoping to go. Now, yeah. I think a lot of the trauma that happened with my dad is really starting to play out as I've gotten older. But mm-hmm. um, I often say to people, when you run from pain, pain will chase you. So it's about at the moment, learning to try and confront that pain and trying to yeah. recycle it and turn it into something positive. Yeah, it's obviously unique to, like you've been saying, OCD is really, really unique to each person. It's not going to be the same sort of type and there's different categories, isn't there, to, of OCD. So there's like contamination OCD, I believe, like hoarding, intrusive thoughts, all of those. So what examples of obsessions can there be then? So there's like the fear of dirt and germs, but what yeah. other what other obsessions can people have? So the fear of thought and uh, um, germs would be contamination. There's symmetry yeah. OCD where things oh, have yeah. to be perfectly aligned. Some people right. have obsessions with numbers. So some yeah. people can't say certain numbers or words because they believe something bad will happen. Um, yeah. There's the harm OCD, which is really, really common. It, it's actually probably one of the most common subtypes. There's wow. race OCD. There's yeah. religious OCD. There's also even existential OCD where you can't stop questioning your reality. You can't keep stop questioning, is this real? What is this all for? Now to some, to a philosopher, that's probably the kind of questions you want. (laughs) But when it starts to affect your everyday living, that's when it becomes obsessive. Yes. there's that's bipolar. sort of the line isn't it that's when yeah. it changes from like these normal thoughts because always people are going to get people are going to be worried especially now probably about, like about dirt and germs from the pandemic and that side of things but it's when it crosses over this line isn't it when it becomes Absolutely. yeah it's all the time and it's impacting on your daily life yeah there's bipolar ocd there's health related ocd there's yeah. schizophrenia ocd so ocd quite often is the fear of being out of control as well it's the idea that these thoughts are gonna make QB out of control so there's so many different subtypes and there's and there's so many misconceptions surrounding OCD like we said like washing hands and cleaning how damaging are these perceptions to the OCD community and to like people not getting diagnosed early enough because they don't they don't think that their intrusive thoughts for example might be OCD they don't sort of correlate the two things do you think it's damaging yeah I I strongly believe it's damaging in, in in many ways because it it trivializes and minimalizes the real experience that people go through with OCD. Now, for all of us that have OCD, I would never wish OCD on my worst enemy. I'm I'm, I'm currently on the path to recovery and the path to recovery looks like you still get intrusive thoughts, but you just learn to realize it's just an intrusive thought. It doesn't say anything about me. But there's a lot of people out there who have been suffering for years, a lot of people out there who have to take strong amounts of medication Mm -hmm. to relieve themselves of the anxiety that OCD causes and the intrusive thoughts. But 
when someone goes, I'm so OCD, you're not. For you to say you're so OCD, it really, really yeah. makes you understand you really are not OCD because a lot of people have taken their lives, I strongly believe, as a result of OCD. Yeah. Now, up to 60% of people with OCD are depressed and suicidal. That's how, and OCD has really high comorbidities. Now, where OCD re- exists in the brain, so the front region with the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the amygdala. So for anybody who doesn't understand that, the, the, the prefrontal cortex in our brain creates a story so you know when you're out somewhere your brain creates a story and by the time you're afraid your prefrontal cortex hasn't even had a chance to finish your story your hippocampus starts firing and then your amygdala which is that almond shaped part of your brain um really small part is the fear fight freeze response people with ocd that overfires and it overreacts essentially right now what happens quite often also a lot of people with OCD is there's a lot of other high comorbidities. So when I use the term comorbidities, I'm meaning there's a lot of high um, crossovers with other mental yeah. illnesses, such as ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenia, because OCD exists in the same region of the brain as those other comorbidities. So OCD usually is the beginning of someone's um, issues when they could have other things that also do overlap. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, so these comments that people use when they're saying them, you know, people are saying like, oh, I'm so OCD and they're sorting their books. Do you, how, what should schools be doing to help with this? Because obviously it's going to have an impact. There's going to be kids in lessons with OCD who might not realise they are. How can schools make the environment better and more, you know, inclusive of children with OCD and improve, improve like that provision? Is there anything they can be doing? Should they be doing more like awareness of it? Do you think there's enough, I don't know, assemblies on it, enough um, education of teachers on OCD? What, what do you think could be improved? Do you know what it is? My, I think my very first um, thought is, my thought goes out to teachers because teachers mm-hmm. have a real amount, like they have a lot to deal with. Like I've taught in schools before and I've seen the weight that teachers have on their shoulders. So I think I want to be really careful about adding too much baggage to their um, shoulders. But I think there needs to be more awareness. With such a high amount of people um, having OCD, there needs to be a wider national conversation, a national local, um, a local conversation as well. Now, I think the school can do a lot, but I think parents can do a lot as well. If you notice your child has some behaviors that are a bit, they're not a bit, I suppose, quote unquote, normal, because then the next question you're going to ask is, what is normal anyway? Now, if you see your child having certain behaviors and obsessions and they can't get over it, there's something up. And if you can get them to a health provider or your GP or a medical practice as quickly as possible, because I know a lot of people believe that they will outgrow their OCD. And that does happen in some cases, right? Some people can actually out, not, I wouldn't say outgrow it, but they can manage their symptoms a lot okay. better. Whereas for a lot of other people, they can't manage their symptoms. In schools, I think if we recognize certain behaviors as n- not normal and it's interfering with their, you know, their learning and the way they're, um, you know, socializing with their peers and there's something up. But I think the very first step starts with awareness with mental health charities, because I think mental health charities and people with lived experience of OCD and OCD therapists and practitioners can give teachers and educational institutions the tools in which it'll be easier to spot that's an OCD behavior or this child is exhibiting OCD symptoms. Because I think I want to be very careful about the advice I give, because I don't want teachers going around in schools and misdiagnosing people because... People are trained in certain yeah. professions for that. 
Now, even for myself, I'm, I'm hoping to train as a therapist at some point, but there's certain behaviors I'm noticing in people. I'm like, that's a bit of an OCD behavior, but I'm unqualified. Yes. So I could be misdiagnosing people at the very same time. So I'm also saying yeah. it from an experience, but there is a lot that can be done. It's just, how do we get about doing it? So I'm working with a few charities at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to go into schools and to talk to some of these students and to talk to Brilliant. kids as young as we can. Because interestingly enough, OCD symptoms start to rear their ugly head um, m- most prevalent around early adulthood. So when right. students are typically going off to university for the very first time, that's quite typically when a lot of OCD symptoms actually come out. Whereas mm-hmm. before that, a lot of people are able to hide their actual OCD symptoms. So this is why it's it's, it's a very interesting conversation to be heard. Yeah, definitely. It's, that's So there will be children with OCD still. It just might be that people wouldn't notice it until they got to university. Why is that? Why is Why does that transition seem to... Any ideas why they tend to notice their OCD more when they're starting university or when they finish school? Is there... So, so one of the biggest theories um, and some of the evidence that leans towards this theory is when children go off to live by themselves, they can no longer hide the things that they once were hiding when they had someone else able to take care of them or yeah. someone else that was able to live alongside them. When you go to university, it could be the stress of university. It could be the, the, the fear of making new friends. So it brings about new types of anxieties, which can bring on other OCD symptoms. So it could be a whole host of different factors and different reasons as to why it's around that age. But also, it could also be puberty um is still a somewhat happening you're moving into your early adulthood and there's different pressures that come with being a student at university quite typically for the first time we forget that with a levels gcses and um a university degree there's actually really big jumps that are made in our education from a levels to university so that could be another big reason as to why but i think there's more research that needs to happen to really narrow out the reasons but I believe it's a multivariated and a multifaceted answer I don't believe there's one thing but I believe there's all these different things that contribute to OCD symptoms because quite often when we say you're having an OCD breakdown it's merely the tip of the iceberg not the very iceberg itself and underneath you've got all these other issues that have been happening for such a long time they've been building but finally the iceberg comes up and we're like oh hold up this can't go on for any longer yeah Gosh, wow. Um, so if a teacher is noticing or, you know, a member of staff in a school is noticing perhaps some OCD tendencies, some things that might suggest that a child in their class or in their school has got OCD, obviously, like we said, they can't diagnose, they, they would need to refer, they need to speak to the Senko in school, they might tell the parents to speak to a GP. But what conversations can they start to have with parents or with a young person about this? Like how, because like you said, there's a lot of shame associated with OCD. People don't want to come forward and talk about it. How would you navigate a conversation with a young person about OCD or the potential of OCD? So I think the very first thing a teacher could probably do is see if you can notice the pattern of the behavior. So with obsessions and compulsions. Now, let me make this clear. I have something called pure O, which is purely obsessional. It's not a scientific term. And that's all about mental compulsion. So that can be things such as magical thinking, um, avoiding people, um, saying certain things. I don't, that's, that's not really how my pure O manifests, but these are some examples. Now for those more outward compulsions where it could be, you might see a child tapping on something several times. See if you notice behaviors, see if you notice a pattern, something where you can really pin it down. But it's, as I said, it's already, it's already hard enough being a teacher. So I recognize there's only so yeah. much you can do. But 
speak to your, you know, your supervisor, anyone who's higher up, your head teacher. Have a conversation with the parents. See if you can get the parents to start noticing behaviors and habits. See what's going on at home. See what we can do to um, find out what's going on. Report it to, um, you know, the parents and let the parents, give the parents some advice. So there's a lot of charities out there who can really help, such as OCD Action. There's OCD UK, um, Orchard OCD. So Orchard OCD um, are the only UK-based and um, we're the only UK-based charity funding better and faster research for people with OCD. So funnily enough, I'm actually on the mushrooms trial at the moment because the psychoactive ingredient in mushrooms is shown to have a positive effect on OCD, but we can't give children mushrooms, obviously, no. at the moment. But yeah, there's um, a lot of charities you can reach out to for resources that can genuinely really help. Yeah. If you also suspect your child has OCD, get clued up because quite often your reassurance so there's something called reassurance seeking I read about this yeah Yeah, so when I very first the first time I ever came to my therapist I said am I like am I am I this am I a bad person that's called reassurance seeking and every time all the time and asking somebody um is this okay yeah and you're that's actually an it's a compulsion you're reinforcing the reason why that person needs to be anxious whereas if you learn to not answer those questions, you learn to allow the person to sit in that discomfort and to sit in that anxiety. And as time goes on, the anxiety will leave. Anxiety always has a peak and then right. it drops, it, 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 like it will leave. So that's another thing to get clued up because quite often yeah. a parent's instinct is to reassure and to want to comfort a child. Whereas you've got to learn to actually do the very opposite of what your instinct tells you. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because you're then, you're sort of, like we were saying before, you're sort of encouraging the compulsion in a Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Because you're like, you're helping it. Yeah. Absolutely. Goodness, you're, rein- the- you're quite- lit- Like reinforcing it. Yeah, reinforcing it. So this is why wow. it's so important to be clued up on yeah. what um, you're doing. And what I will do is I'll put the links to those charities at the bottom of the show notes Absolutely. for anybody so they can have a, have a look at those and have a read. Because that, it, like you say, it's so important that people are knowledgeable on these topics. And if they're not looking out for more knowledge on this so they can fully support people with that. Gosh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so, so interesting. And just to touch on one thing you said, you mentioned magical thinking. And that's something I was reading about. And that's quite interesting, isn't it? Would you be able to explain what? Because I think children can have, am I right in saying, I think everyone with OCD can have this, but I think it's one that people associate more with children. What is this magical thinking? Can you explain it? So it's this idea, I'll give you a very real example. One of my friends, he said every time he gives a bottle to his sister, he has to pray pray over it. He has to make sure that he doesn't do this because, and and that's compulsion, but it's also very magical thinking. It's this kind of idea that he believes he's going to do something wrong by giving her the bottle in a wrong way. And he has yeah. to pray over it to make sure everything is all okay. So yeah. that's an example of it. But yes, kids quite often at times can exhibit more magical thinking because a kid's imagination can right. run wild and they can be a bit like, this can happen, that can happen. So a kid almost has far less boundaries and thresholds in which their magical thinking can operate compared to an adult I think quite often with adults we kind of have a threshold because in many ways we we have the imagination numbed out of us as we get older right you know we kind of get older like the world doesn't really work like that whereas (laughs) with a kid it becomes a bitter reality as they get older so yes quite often magical thinking can present itself in many different ways but again these are all different symptoms of OCD these are all different behaviors of OCD now another thing to remember is if you catch your kid or you know someone who's avoiding things all the time 
Right. I'm not saying it's an OCD symptom, but there's some sort of anxiety that's that's there as to why they're reacting in that certain kind of behavior, um, that certain kind of way. So these are all little behaviors that you just, if you can notice it, yeah. say it sooner rather than later. Yes. Make someone aware of it because I think for myself now, when I've noticed certain things, I'm like, I, I question it a little bit more, mm. and I try to empathize with someone. And often, from me speaking about my story in the Metro and on different articles, I've had way more people reach out to me and say, "Sean, I've got OCD as well." Wow. Like it's a lot more common than people think. Yeah, that's yeah, really, really interesting. You're so right that talking about it is the most important thing, and I suppose it's for teachers not to dismiss things. If they're spotting something in their class and they're thinking, wait a minute, something potentially here, it's erring on the side of caution and telling parents about it and parents doing the same to teachers and having that sort of communication, isn't it? And it may well be nothing, but better talk about it than not. And better, she might, it might be the part of the missing piece. You could be seeing some, they could be seeing a lot more of it at home and you're just seeing a tiny, tiny bit of it in your classroom. And then combined, you're getting the full picture and you can, you can help that child. Whereas if there's no communication and everyone's like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to bring up an issue that potentially is not there. Then no one, no one can help, can they? They can't, they can't solve it. And, and I think what's really important for teachers to remember is teachers actually spend more time with their, their um, children than parents end up mm. doing. So teachers have a monumental impact on the student's life. And a good teacher who cares about a student can change a student's life. Yeah. Now, a lot of the boys that I went to school with, unfortunately, ended up with, um, in prison or in jail and some ended up dead due to the nature of the area that I grew up in. So I'm quite lucky to be where I am. But we never forget the good teachers that cared yeah. about us, the teachers that went an extra mile. So you spotting a child's behavior as a little bit abnormal. I want to be very careful about the words no, that no, I use. I um, but I'll use the word abnormal for now. So you spotting certain children's behaviors can change a student's life. Yeah. Because if you spot it sooner rather than later, you can get them help sooner rather than as it gets um as they get older, it gets worse. So this is this is this is what I mean that. Teachers are probably some of the most underpaid, under-respected, and underappreciated professions that we have in the world, but especially in this country. Teachers don't get enough for what they do. And I heavily recognize the burden and the weight that they're carrying, but you have such a powerful impact on students' lives and on parents' lives. Kids spend way more time with you than they do with their parents. Never downplay the, the effect you have on students. And yeah. In there, as I said, I remember my great teachers. I remember my bad teachers. All of us um, in schools um, and as we've grown up still remember it. So if you can spot something sooner, please say. Yeah, absolutely. And what happens after they spot it? So if a child is then diagnosed with OCD, what are the treatment options? Because there's therapy, isn't there, as well as medication. What what options are there out there? Because obviously, if, if there's a parent listening, they might be thinking, okay, I think my child might have OCD, but what, what will happen if I go and speak to a GP or if I go and speak to the school SEMCO? What's the next steps? Um, yes, so the gold standard for OCD treatment, which is CBTERP, which is Cognitive Behavioural Therapy and Exposure Response Prevention. Yeah. And sometimes people do it with ACT, which is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. So right. what you learn to do with CBT is obviously you change the way that you're thinking, you change your behaviours. But exposure response prevention is the, is the core part of OCD recovery. Right. It's you learn to be exposed to your worst fears. You wow. learn to be exposed to these things that you're so worried about, but you've got to learn to sit with the anxiety. Yeah. 
You've got to learn to sit with that discomfort and to not perform the compulsions. Wow. So for, uh, like, I'll give you an example. Um, and, and it's a very um, personal one, but one of my biggest fears was being a rapist. So I had a fear of having a thought in my head surrounding the word rape meant I was going to do it. So I had to right. write an entire script on rape and I was crying my eyes out because the anxiety that it was bringing me was crushing it. It was agonizing and, um, and I was struggling to write the words, but my therapist said, we need to do this. We need to get you desensitized to the words for you to realize this is not what you are. Your thoughts yeah. do not make you who you are. And after the session, I was still crying my eyes out and I was exhausted. Um, and the world holds a lot less weight on me now. Don't get me wrong, I'm still triggered every now and then if there's a scene in a movie where sexual assault happens, but it's a lot less. You learn... Yeah as time goes on to desensitize yourself. So this is probably what would happen to kids. Now, for more extreme cases sometimes, to alleviate the anxiety, kids can be put on antidepressants, but I know there's a lot more safeguarding around that. Yeah. Because antidepressants for a kid at a really young age does have a really big impact. So for myself, I went on surgery and I was on 100 milligrams, I'm on 50 now and I'm looking to come off eventually altogether. But um, yeah, that's another thing that can happen. There's different types of um, therapy that some people do, but mm -hmm. I know the gold standard, as I said, the go-to standard for OCD is CBT ERP. And there's also a child on the internet. Um, I don't want to say their name just for, for safeguarding reasons, yeah, yeah. but they have they had really severe OCD and they became an inpatient at a ward because their contamination OCD was so bad they couldn't step on grass. They couldn't. Oh my goodness! They, they had to step on certain slabs um, um, on the pavement. It, it, it was really intense. And I know their path to recovery is probably very different compared to most people, but there's also the, um, becoming an inpatient where they, they work with you every day. They work with you intensely with your OCD. So there's a, there's a lot of different options that are presented out there. Wow. And that exposure and response prevention is really, really interesting, isn't it? Because it almost feels like it's the opposite. I know as a parent, it feels like the opposite of what you'd want to do with a child. Yeah. But it makes sense. But so if if someone was like obsessively cleaning, if they were, if they felt they need to be, you know, they, they were worried about contamination, they were cleaning a lot. So then would you be exposing them or the, the therapist be exposing them to germs and, and dirt and that side of things to see if they can like over time to sort of help them is that how it would work then yeah it's it's learning to sit with that discomfort and the un and the what makes you uncomfortable with the dirt is learning to maybe you might just look at that dirt for a while and yeah you might get the thoughts i need to clean it i need to clean it but the therapist might be like no you need to sit there and watch it let the thought go away and you and might clean it and yeah for some people it does for some people it can stick around a lot right. longer so i know for some people with really severe ocd that they take really high amounts of sertraline. So I know some people that are on 400 milligrams to 300 milligrams of sertraline. So wow. the recommend, the highest that most people can go is 200 milligrams. So that, wow. that, that, that tells yeah. you how severe it is. But that cleaning, they might have to sit there until that thought goes away. And maybe they might clean at a later date, but they've got to learn to stop reacting straight away. Because what OCD is, as I said, it's your brain trying to protect you. The yeah. intrusive thoughts, it's your brain turning on itself. It's a maladaptive behavior trying to protect you. So when you, once you learn to sit with that discomfort that that dirtiness is, is, is causing you, you just learn to go, that's just an intrusive thought. I don't need yeah. to clean that right now. Yeah, and I suppose seeing that nothing bad happens. like Exactly. You, over time, you realize, actually, I haven't done those compulsions and nothing nothing bad has happened to me so yeah keeping my going quite literally 
Yeah, yeah, it's so interesting. It really, really is. And it's, I just can't get over how much of a misconception, so many misconceptions around OCD and how much people don't understand about it. Um, and it, it is complete, it's much bigger than I think a lot of people realise, isn't it? Um, why do you think it's so important that people do get a diagnosis if they have OCD? Why shouldn't they keep quiet? I think we touched on this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, as I said, if it takes 12 years to get treatment, imagine the years you've lost to yeah. OCD. Now, also, OCD is incredibly under-researched and underfunded. Right. Um, the average patient with OCD only has 89p spent on them in the research, whereas I think people with cancer, I, I want to make sure I don't get the number wrong, but if I read correctly, it's £2.75. For right. you to tell, so from 89p to £2.75 mm -hmm. for different um, disorders, yeah. yet OCD and other anxiety-based disorders cost the NHS billions a year not millions yeah. billions a year in lost working days in people who can't go to work in um it takes years out of people's life lives it destroys people's mental health it destroys people's social life it affects their every fabric of their being mm -hmm. and it's so important to get a diagnosis but before i say how important it is to get a diagnosis i understand how scary and worrying it can be to actually get a diagnosis yeah. because you might feel like I'm nothing more than my diagnosis. You are more than your diagnosis. Your diagnosis gives you the tools in which you can manage and you can cope with your, you know, newfound um, diagnosis. But it's so important because the longer you leave something running is the more you're going to have questions. You don't know what it could lead to. So when I was having suicidal OCD, for me, that was the breaking point. That was the where I was like, no, 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 I can't do this anymore. There's something wrong. Yeah. There's something wrong. There's something up with me, but I don't know what it is. But yeah. I believed the thought. I believed the thought meant I was suicidal and I wanted to die. That oh was gosh. exactly what I believed it to be until I realized in psychology, it's something called cognitive fusion, where you fuse the idea you believe the thought in your head means that you are that thought and that's not the case but wow. the sooner you can get diagnosed is the quicker you can get help yeah. the quicker you can get treatment and the quicker you can put those tools in to get back portions of your life you may not you may not get to 100 percent um to 100 percent, but you can get to a place where you can at least manage it yeah and i know that's the case for a lot of people with ocd yeah wow this has been absolutely brilliant, Sean. Is there anything else you want that we haven't covered that you want to touch on and share with our listeners? Is there any so, bits of advice? Yeah, interestingly enough, um, I'm a young black man with OCD and not many people from my community really speak up about OCD, again, yeah. due to the taboo nature, but also our relationships with um, the mental health institutions and how history and trauma and the generational idea of mental health mm. has continued. And I really want to encourage... Um, whether you're black or white to really help those people who are more at risk of being diagnosed with some sort of mental health illness or disorder yeah. now let me give you an example young black boys have um, um mental health they, they have the same mental health as their white counterparts up until the age of 11 but right. quite often after 11 there's something that breaks in a lot of um, black boys psyche whether that's discrimination the inequalities in society really start to rear their ugly head yeah. young black boys are far more likely to be diagnosed with um, some sort of mental illness but we're more mm -hmm. likely to become um exposed to the mental health institutions through the criminal justice system so yeah. these are these are not a lot of another these are other big issues so i really mm -hmm. would encourage if you know you're whatever profession you're in to try and encourage the young 
ethnic minorities to speak up about mental health because yeah. it's a huge taboo in a lot of our communities. We don't want to be seen as crazy. We don't want to be seen as mentally ill because we feel like our life is over in many ways. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's a view I've had to combat with a lot of people who have reached out to me about their OCD, but also a lot of parents who have had worries about their children having OCD and any type of other mental difficulty or illness. So that's something I really want to take the time to really raise awareness yeah. about. That I want more Black people, more other ethnic minorities to speak up about their mental illnesses because you're not alone. You are yeah. not alone in what's going on. You know, the quicker, as I said, you get seen to, the better we can help yeah. our communities. And this is why I'm really... I, it's so important to me to serve the community of which I've been given so much from. Yeah. That's something that's really important to me. So, And are you finding since talking more, because I've seen you've done quite a lot of articles recently, you've been um, here, there and everywhere talking about OCD, which is brilliant. Have you found that more people are coming to you and, and getting in touch with you and saying thank you for speaking out and, and talking about OCD? Yeah, I've had um, a lot of people reach out to me, mm. parents, um, a lot of black people and ethnic minorities yeah. reaching out to me speaking about their OCD Good. and it's come as a real shock because OCD is one of those mental illnesses that there's so many of us that have it but I think you feel incredibly alone with it yeah. because at the end of the day no one else is stuck with your own mind but you right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and not not to discredit any other mental illnesses I can only speak for the lived experience of OCD but yes when people have reached out to me it's really made me come to a realization that wow I am not alone as much as I thought I am there's so many other people out here who have OCD. And yeah. what has been one of the most beautiful things about it is it's brought me a new sense of community. Oh, wow. It's brought me a new sense of people who have come toward, come together and supported me on trying to raise awareness. Um, so, for example, I'm trying to um, get more votes to um, deliver a talk about OCD at a conference. And mm -hmm. the OCD community have come together to really help me. That's how powerful they are. Oh, brilliant. And, but the one thing with the OCD community at times is it's an echo chamber. And yeah. it's a community that we only stick together at times. But this is why I'm trying to stay within the community, but also take the tools that I've learned and to step out into the wider sense of society and see yeah. what we can do to change these archaic views and myths about OCD. Wonderful. Absolutely amazing work that you're doing. How can people support you with this talk then? Is because use our listeners. <laughs> well, the votes the votes are actually ending today at Oh no. So there's actually not much. You can get my can vote do. then. I'll do it after this, John. So thank you so much. Um yeah, so if you want to support my work outside yeah. of everything else, though, yeah, you can find me on all social media at Deshaun Flores. So T-H-E-S-H-A-U-N-F-L-O-R-E-S. Search, yeah, just type in my name, you'll pretty much yeah. find what I do. I'm, my DMs are open. I'm more than happy to wow. speak to people and to help to anyone. If you want me to come to your school and have a conversation, more than happy to do that. Um, and I'm more than happy just to help in whatever ways that I can because the quicker we get these things diagnosed, the quicker we can help people. And I really want people to understand that. And if you're a parent or you're a child with OCD, or you're, as I said, if you're a parent that has a child with OCD or you know somebody, don't lose hope. You know, yeah. that's something that's been really important for me on my journey that I know not every day is going to be good. Not every day is going to be bad. We have good and bad moments. And we need yeah. to remember that intrusive thoughts say nothing about who we are as a person and yeah. know that we are in a promising and an exciting time for OCD. As I said, 
I'm on an OCD trial at the moment with the NHS. So yeah. I'm taking psilocybin. Um, well, I'm going to be taking it twice um, mm-hmm. to see the effects it has on OCD. So this is, it's, it's an exciting time. We're exploring other treatments and potential ailments for people with OCD. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks ever so much. You've been a brilliant guest. It's been so interesting. I wish I could talk to you for longer about this. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Wow, he was absolutely brilliant. Another podcast episode where I feel like I've learned so, so much. I hope you found it useful as well. Um, As I mentioned, I've popped the links for the charities and the other OCD websites that Sean mentioned in the show notes below, as well as some resources from Twinkle that are about OCD and supporting children with OCD. So do have a look at those and have a little click. And thanks again for listening to Sending the Experts with me, Georgina Durrant. Subscribe to our podcast and help us spread the word on social media. And we'll see you next time. Bye.